0: The approach taken today is the most unconstitutional use of this house since the days of Charles Stuart Parnell when he tried to bung up Parliament the honourable (laughs) member for the 17th century there Jacob Rees-Mogg invoking (laughs) the name of uh, an Irishman who doesn't often get mentioned in Westminster much these days uh, Charles Stuart Parnell being mentioned earlier this week in the House of Commons he then trended on Twitter but you suspect that Parnell himself would probably have been delighted to see his name trending because after all he was a master of bringing attention to political causes in different favours Uh, he was often referred to as the uncrowned King of Ireland famed as Jacob Rees-Mogg mentioned there for bringing Westminster to a standstill but even some of the leading British politicians of the day later admitted their deep respect for a man who's become remembered as the father of filibustering. And Donald Fallon is here to tell us more about him. Donald, good afternoon, how are it's you?
1: It's a good week was, for a the story. There's a lot of s- politicians do this. It was a
0: slightly <laughs> surreal one uh, to hear uh, Parnell be mentioned. And even, even more surreal than afterwards to discover that apparently an image of Parnell uh, adorns the door <laughs> of the office of Nigel Farage.
1: Yes and and one of our one of our great historians Felix Larkin, made a good point in the newspapers he said it's another Irish constitutional leader uh, who Jacob Rees-Mogg should be paying tribute to Daniel O'Connell because if it wasn't for Daniel O'Connell he wouldn't be in the house That's of right. commons of As course O'Connell That's O'Connell right. brought about catholic emancipation mm. uh, in 1829 but we've had it all this week we've had Jacob Rees-Mogg we've had Nigel Farage and you know those immortal words of Parnell on on his monument at the top of O'Connell Street mm. worth repeating no right no man has the right to fix the boundary to the march of a nation no man has the right to say to his country thus far shalt thou go and no further it was a very curious week uh, for those with an interest in this political titan uh, of history and you know in truth uh, Nigel Farage and, and Charles Stuart Parnell they may have very different political outlooks but there is some kind of Parnellism you could say in Farage as a political orator I mean he's mm. a great ability to speak whether you agree what he's saying or not and his love for spectacle politics uh, in Brussels and Parnell really perfected spectacle politics and it does say a lot about Parnell You know that you know even today British politicians he's, he's on their lips
0: That's right and even uh, not just the, the politicians south of the border too but even those north of Hadrian's Wall. the SNP have got into him in recent he, times as well
1: Yeah in recent years his name has been evoked in particular by Alex Salmon from the SNP and he was speaking at the grave of Charles Stuart Parnell in Glasnevin Cemetery. He said Parnell is the peace cry of constitutional nationalism, the greatest rallying call. You can compromise in the present and yet, often you must compromise to achieve progress but you must never compromise with the future if you are to maintain the integrity of the movement that you lead. But in truth, you know, the Parnell... That Salmon and other people mm. are, remember is more complex. He was a politician that was committed to constitutional nationalism when it suited him, and with the lingering kind of smell of gunpowder as well, you know. And sometimes, yeah. quite literally, standing in the shadow of a gunman, uh, and never, you know, never too afraid to keep the Fenian card very close to his chest. Sort of well. like the,
0: the devil era of his day, really, in sort of being able to, to different strokes for different folks. Uh, he was a relatively unusual Irish leader in the grand scheme of things, I too. Can't
1: remember which Fianna Fáil leader it was that said, described Fianna Fáil as a slightly constitutional party, but there was there was, there was a bit of that. <laughs> About the Irish Parliamentary Party as well. Parnell was the perfect Irish constitutional leader. Like when you look at him, his background—he's from a Protestant landowning family. You know, he has American blood uh, in his veins, mm. and he defies any of the cliché. You know, they, they love these clichéd images in 19th century British political cartoon newspapers, Punch magazine. Yes, it's the Irish yeah. brute. You know, it's 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 the it's the dangerous Paddy. Sometimes sitting on a keg of gunpowder, halfway between a human and a monkey. And that wasn't Parnell, and you couldn't make Parnell look like that. And he walks into Parliament, April 1875, what a great cockiness uh, about him. And at a time when the Irish Parliamentary Party was adopting a very new and very divisive tactic. But
0: it wasn't a tactic that he actually devised. Although he was the man who brought obstructionism to the fore, it wasn't actually Parnell that created it. It yeah. was another forgotten
1: man. And if Rhys Mogg should have evoked any one name in Westminster, it's Joseph Bigger. He's a brilliant character. He's a Belfast pork butcher he's sworn into the Fenian movement sometimes described as the ugliest man who ever set foot in Westminster which is none too kind and he's an absolutely woeful orator but nonetheless he's one of the most important orators in Westminster's history and he's a very impressive Irish parliamentary party uh, performer because this guy is the father of filibustering and obstructionism and if listeners don't know what that is it's basically where you stand up and you speak for hours on anything and everything Mm. whether it's relevant to the motion before the House uh, or not
0: the idea the modern equivalent would be that if you have a a rule that the dole is going to finish sitting at 10 o'clock and that a vote has to take place before then that if you literally just talk down the clock you can stand there and speak (laughs) for a couple of hours and eventually 10 o'clock will come around and you haven't disposed of the business and that means that the law which has been debating uh, doesn't ever actually take effect because you've missed the deadline to get yeah, it off the line.
1: If you go onto YouTube and have a look at politicians we're more familiar with in the modern world uh, mm. Bernie Sanders for example has used this tactic in America I mean, it's still used uh, in, in in parliamentary systems where it can be availed of and this guy Joseph Bigger could just stand up and speak for hours on anything mm. and he'd walk into parliament with kind of parliamentary blue books that he'd borrowed from the library under his arm he'd read them cover to cover on one occasion the Speaker of the House said I can't hear you so he moved forward and he started again, he'd bring in <laughs> contemporary news. <laughs> he would reached
0: the epilogue of the book and then he had to go back to the contents just, page. Just, just a great
1: trick, he'd say, I wonder how contemporary British society feels about this. Maybe if you read the Times newspaper, we'll know. And he'd read the Times newspaper mm. uh, from cover to cover. So, initially, this guy, Joseph Bigger, what he was doing was he was obstructing Uh, coercion laws which are aimed at Ireland but basically just started grinding down any parliamentary business whatever they were talking about Bigger would stand up and talk and talk and talk and there's a great line in the diary of a sketch writer because it's a time before photography uh, in in, in the newspapers from Parliament where this uh, sketch writer is writing about having to be there for 26 hours Mm. as a result of the parliamentary party and he says in his diary it's clear that home rule means not going home all night yourself and keeping as many other people as possible (laughs) out of their beds
0: and now you understand why there isn't too many reporters knocking around the Shannon when they're discussing the Judicial Appointments <laughs> Commission bill uh, anyway that's a tangent um, not everyone within the IPP was terribly supportive of this idea of obstructionism yeah
1: certain people in the party Isaac Butt and others thought that this was immature that it was childish but Parnell also adopted uh, the tactic and I think it gave Irish parliamentarians the one thing they didn't have in Britain which was attention you know, and the British press had to acknowledge the Home Rule issue because it was Home Rule that was stopping Parliament from working and the, the point that's often made about the Irish Parliamentary Party they were probably the best oiled political machine mm. uh, in the British Parliament and when the Liberals and the Tories were were eating each other the IPP could often uh, could hold it together and as we saw in recent times with the DUP one of the most Google things in Britain in 2017 was who are the DUP? The British public never had to think about the DUP before, but they ended up with a hung parliament and the DUP became very important. Mm. And back in the 19th century, that could happen as well. The parliamentary party often, in, in a hung parliament, their votes mattered and they could exchange you know, uh, their votes for whatever they wanted in Ireland from the Liberals uh, or from the Conservatives. So Parnell and the people behind him, they'd no political loyalty to anyone in Westminster. The only political loyalty they had was to the cause of Irish legislative independence. Mm.
0: Now, um, of course, they had great parliamentary power that you've articulated very nicely there, but real political power is not just inside Parliament. Absolutely. It's about how you rally people outside and how you mobilise them towards your cause. And that was something that Parnell was particularly gifted at.
1: Yeah, and, and, and Jacob Rees-Mogg is a bit of a historian. He just wrote a book called The Victorians, about 19th century society. Mm. And he manages not to mention working-class people once, or protest movements, or you know politics outside of mm. Westminster just doesn't seem to feature uh, in his world view. But the real ability of Parnell, and Parnellism as they called it, wasn't in Parliament. It was you know on the streets at home. Because remember, very few people could actually vote. You know, the Electoral franchise was much smaller than today. So, if you wanted to show that people were behind you, just as Daniel O'Connell had done earlier on, where he could mobilize 700, 800,000 people, Mm. Parnell pulls that same trick. And they used the very same title for Parnell that they'd used for O'Connell, the uncrowned king of Ireland. The Land League brings the poor and the dispossessed, you know, who want land reform onto the streets mm. in their hundreds of thousands. And sometimes it gets violent. I mean, it's vicious stuff. 2,590 recorded instances of agrarian outrage in Ireland in 1880. I mean, that is just in phenomenal one stuff. In one 2, year.
0: 2,590 in talking, one year. You We're know, talking
1: landlord's houses being burned, landlords being physically assaulted. I mean, wow. real violent stuff in one year. And Parnell, very close to this movement, in fact, encouraging people not to pay rent, ultimately ends up in prison uh, as a result of his commitment. So we have this brilliant parliamentarian who can play the Westminster game Mm. but is also able to mobilise people, sometimes violent people, on the streets at home.
0: Just as a by the by, I think it's often fascinating when we refer to the likes of Parnell and indeed Daniel O'Connell as the uncrowned King of Ireland. I think it tells you an awful lot about uh, how people saw themselves at the time that they would refer to these people as kings Absolutely. and not as presidents—that like, the, the only model through which you can imagine power being being dispensed yep. with is, is through the model of a king. Uh, that's a real tangent, though. Um, so Parnell has had his rise, but then ultimately all that goes up must come down, and a fall comes along the way as well.
1: Yeah, a politician probably closer to to Nigel Farage than Charles Sheridan Parnell was 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 Enoch Powell, and Enoch Powell said all political careers end in failure. Mm. That's true. Uh, Parnell's ended in spectacular failure. And the tragedy of it is it wasn't a political failure. It was the kind of humiliating spectacle of a private issue becoming public scandal. And James Joyce in The Portrait of an Artist as a young man, he captures this brilliantly where the family are just fighting around the table about Parnell. Everyone in Ireland had a view on Parnell. I mean, it was the gossip column, sensation story of the late 19th century. Kitty O'Shea, the divorce, uh, the affair. And it was nobody's business. And yet at the same time, it was everyone's business. Mm. And Parnell had just fallen from grace. That suited a lot of people, Catholic bishops, who didn't like the fact Irish nationalism was led you know, by this land-owning aristocratic Protestant, mm. where, you know, none too sad to see him go And ultimately, Parnell, I mean, it's the tragic failure of Irish political history. Buried in Glasnevin Cemetery, the Protestant political titan, fallen political titan uh, amidst the Catholic poor.
0: And of course, the British press were no doubt uh, very happy to
1: see his political fall as well. Absolutely. And we know today, it's still true, the press often plays its role in the downfall of people. Only a few years before, one British newspaper said, if the Parnellites cannot appreciate British freedom, the largest the world has ever seen, it shows they're not fit for home rule. To those who threaten dagger and dynamite, I again point out there's plenty of rope in England, but you know, speaking of rope, you know, to borrow yeah. an old saying, if you if you give them enough rope, they'll hang themselves, and that seems to be what's <laughs> happening on the neighbouring islands.
0: It certainly does, and I think a lot of people at the time would have thought that British freedom was an oxymoronic term because it didn't feel like much of freedom. It actually just strikes me when you're talking about you know the divorce of of Kitty O'Shea, probably one of the reasons why uh, Parnell might be so well known among Nigel Farage and others is because one of the uh, most favourite watering holes in the European quarter of Brussels is Kitty O'Shea's ah. pub. So maybe that's the reason why it's been on everyone's minds. Uh, Donald, fascinating stuff as ever thank you so much for, for bringing us up to speed of that little crash course uh, in the history of Charles Stewart Parnell Donald Fallon is an author and historian and he's the author of the Come Here To Me blog and the books volumes 1 and 2 which are available in all good bookshops now